That's correct. Yes. Um, teaming with you, uh, fundraising for the little lighthouse here in Tulsa, and uh, attempting to run Pumpkin Holler 100 in under 24 hours. Well, I'm just gonna say it right now. I believe you'll do it. I believe all things are possible if we just believe. So I believe you'll do it. Well, good. You also have. Story of what God's brought you through, and I know your story 
will inspire and encourage and motivate people uh, to see uh, the journey you're on and you've uh, done a lot of work to uh, get your life back and uh, part, part of the uh, thing that put you on the journey is number one, God, and number two, uh, your running community. And I'm so glad that God uh, brought us across each other's paths. Brother, I, I would have turned it over to you so you can tell your story. Thanks for being on the show today. Thank you. Um, first of all, let me say, Sean, that you're a big source of inspiration for me. And I learn a lot about, you know, strength, hope, and faith just following you. Um, not only am I your friend, but I follow you on Facebook, and, and you're a big source of inspiration and hope for me. Uh, second of all, I'd like to thank your mom for uh, making this possible. And, um, I know she should be home recovering right now, really. So I'd like to ask for continued prayers for Sean's mother, Kylie, as uh, she continues to recover from a procedure she just had done. And then a big shout out to my girlfriend, Penny, <laughs> who's allowing us to do this in her house. Yes, thank you, Penny, for letting us use the space for this podcast. That's it. I'm not sure what she sees in me because dating me is like, hey, come out in this 93-degree heat and let's go run hills. Or, hey, let's go spend a weekend in the woods with my friends and run some mountains. And, but uh, somehow she's here, so I'm very grateful. Um, she sees what kind of character you have and what kind of man you are because you're a great guy and I'm I'm uh, so I'm blessed to be able to call you my friend. You say you learned a lot from me, but I learned a lot from you. You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron, so I I believe we learn from each other, we challenge each other, we watch each other, and I believe we help each other grow. That's right. So thank you. I look forward to continuing to do that. Yes, sir. Um. Well, I, before this, I prayed that uh, for God to guide my words, and for what what I talk about here tonight, uh, help somebody somewhere. And a lot of it, you know, maybe looked at as embarrassing, and uh, you know, I may have been nervous at first to put it out there because. And let's face it, some people can be judgmental, not everybody is of a Christian heart. But if it helps one person tonight, then, then it's well worth it to me. Um, I'm going to give you a little background. Not that any of this made me an addict. I believe I was born to be who I, who I am and who I was and everything I went through brought me to this point to be who I am today. So... I don't regret any of it. Uh, I regret hurting people along the way, um, but I'm not that person today. So um, I grew up in a small town. I say small town in New Jersey, but really it's the largest city in the area. 
it's just, but it's not a big city. Uh, we have farms there, a uh, lot of produce, wineries, and but there is an inner city, like just like any other place, there is you know sections that are prone to drugs and crime, and um, so. But when, where I grew up, my dad was from Virginia, my mom from New Jersey. He was a hillbilly, so uh, we lived in a neighborhood not known for farms, but we had a fence-to-fence garden. We had chickens, we had rabbits, and uh, it was a good life. Um, you know, I felt a lot of love, a lot of love. Um, unfortunately, he uh, got lung cancer. He had lung cancer and passed away when I was 10 years old. And almost immediately, there was a drastic change. Um, I'm sorry for your loss. Well, that's, a, that's a very difficult age because that's just when you, um, within a couple of years of that, you start uh, being shaped and um, molded and they So that's a very difficult fact to lose a man, but especially a father. Yeah, and here's the thing. Um, my dad uh, spoiled me. You know, there's no other way around it. Uh, he married my mom. My mom had eight children already. Uh, she gave them me, and I was, you know, I was just spoiled rotten. And when he passed away, my life drastically changed. All that was gone. Um, it's like I felt a love from him that maybe I took it for granted when he was there. And when he was gone, I just didn't feel that anymore. And things were changed. I mean, I was made to be responsible. That was, that was what the goal was, what my mom was trying to do, make me be responsible. And... Um, you know, I kind of, kind of held it against my dad for passing away. How could he die? We, you know, like this, and and I think I was mad at God for a long time. I grew up in about this church, and uh, I think I think I had a lot of anger towards God and, and towards my dad for leaving me. And almost immediately, I started hanging out with the kids from the other section of town. You know. Uh, at first, it was just smoking weed, and, you know, then missing school, grades dropping, and the pattern just progressed and progressed. And, and finally, uh, when I got to when I got to seventeen, I started hitting harder drugs. I don't want to make this a long drug log because that's not it. I just want to give you a little background show you how far God's brought me. Well, I, I want people to see uh, where, where you were and where God, where God can bring us if we don't allow God because, you know, I believe we all, we all come from a struggle. We all, we all come from something. Absolutely. Uh, we, we all need God. And, uh, you know, a lot of us try feel the void with a lot of other things besides God. Maybe it's drugs, maybe it's sex, 
was always an athlete. And, and at this point, I couldn't walk a block, let alone run a block. So um, something happened. And, uh, me and a couple guys robbed the dealer for an ounce of Coke. And he threatened to kill me. And I felt like the other two guys kind of skipped out and, and fell on me. I felt like I had to get out of town. But how was I going to? Basically, I was homeless already. And I was sleeping in some guy's basement. He let me in at night to sleep in his basement. And yeah, we were stealing frozen vegetables from train cars and, you know, cooking them out in the woods. And that's what we're going by asking McDonald's at the end of the night for whatever they had left over on the grill and that's how we eat. Yeah. And uh, I just didn't know how I was going to get out of there but I was sure I was going to die if I stayed. So I walked into the recruiter's office and um, well, that looking out of there for sure. <laughs> so I walked in and I remember I had brothers in the military I remember uh, my brother Doug telling me about the Air Force, how when he went through training, it was raining too hard. Uh, he told him to skip certain parts of it because it was too muddy. And honestly, he said it's the easiest of all four, but you had to be smart. So I went in there and uh, sat down and the guy was happy to see me. And uh, he asked me a few questions and he got to that part where uh, he said, have you done any drugs? And I started listing them. And he just stood up and he said, well, shook my hand and said, sorry, I can't help you. Well, the Navy recruiter happened to be in the same office for some reason, like sitting across from him. And I looked at him and he's like, pointed to the door. So I walked out and walked into the Army recruiter and got the same results. But down the end of the hall, was this little short, sawed-off, tough-looking son of a gun who was a Marine Corps recruiter. And we walked in, and he didn't ask me any questions. He just uh, told me about the Marine Corps, and then he gave me a test. And, and um, I had some smarts on me, and I, I aced the test. And he looked at it, he's like, wow, man. He's like, uh, well, we can get you, get you out of here in a couple weeks. And... Uh, well, that's awesome. And, yeah, and I, he said, can you pass a, a drug test? And that was the first mention he made of it. And I said, well, I'm, I, I'm quitting, uh, and I can in a little while. I can't right now. He's like, well, what are you quitting? And, and so I told him everything. <laughs> I listed every drug. And, he, and he's like, well, how did you score this? score on this test if you're doing all those he said i'll tell you what stay clean for four weeks we'll get you out of here you'll never think about drugs again and that sounded good to me man so yeah um i went home uh, you know i didn't stay clean for them four weeks but i did stay clean the last two weeks and I, and then i just kind of you know i drank and I kind of detoxed and boot camp. So that was, that was your first spray of hope? You, that, yeah. You like said that recruiter, you like, this is my way out. This is my way to change my life. This is the way to turn everything around. Exactly. But 
but that didn't necessarily work. That uh, that worked for a while. Uh, went to boot camp. Of course, I stayed clean there. Somehow, I made it through because I wasn't in very good physical shape. You know, the drugs had taken their toll. But by the end of boot camp, I was in the best shape of my life. And um, you know, I, I got duty stationed. I went to infantry training school. They called it back then. South Carolina, then I got flown over to the Philippines, and I thought when they sent me over to the Philippines, this is the best thing for me because I will never find a drug over here. Never, never, ever, ever will I find a drug in the Philippines, and that was pretty much true. And you know, I did pretty well while I was over there. I got meritorious promotion, and I got uh, merit- uh, meritorious mast. So. And I was looked up, looked up to as a Marine and a squad leader. And, um, but then my time in the Philippines ended and they sent me to California and California and me were not a good mix. They just weren't. I seemed to find the same crowd, fell into the same stuff. And the same type of people, the same environment, the same. The same temptation. Same trying to fill that hole I had because at 10 years old, I, I missed both my father's loves. You know, my father died and I turned from God. So, do, so I do you feel that. like, do you feel like, um, all that stuff you were doing was trying to play, take the place of the missing love? Yeah. The, yeah. the missing validation that you would have gotten or should have gotten to your father had you not passed away. Yeah, I think so. Um, my, not, not only that, but, you know, I just quit. Uh, I quit my walk with Jesus. I, you know, like, as a kid, I was that kid sitting in Sunday school the whole time paying attention with this, you know, hands folded, just sitting still and, and being a good kid and listening and learning, loving God. And then I just went to this place where you couldn't pay me to go to church and I didn't want to hear about God. God took my father from me. And then there were some other things that happened to me when I was a kid that I felt like one of them happened. My dad was there, but I don't think any of that really made me an addict. I think what made me an addict was this is who I'm supposed to be today. So, but yes, when I got to California and the drugs were offered to me, I had no God, so I had no defense. And and I said yes. And that just led to another two-year binge until they locked me up. And... um when they locked me up, they were serious about locking me up. And they were talking about 12 years because what I did was, what I thought I did was trying to get some drugs for a friend. And what I actually did was got some drugs for an undercover NIS agent. Oh. And so you were just... So they tried to get me for distributing drugs. Yeah. yeah. So you were caught in the middle of a bigger picture. 
yeah, I was just playing the middleman, getting something for somebody, but they call it something else in, in the military. They don't play around with that stuff. So I was looking at 12 years, and uh, somehow I got a year, which I served 10 months for in the brig, but they had enough for Koi by then. And, uh, you know, much like everybody else in my life up to that point, including my family, had had enough for Koi. <laughs> um, I'm sure you can see now, but I'm a big believer that once we truly turn over our life, if there's ever a point in our life that we turn over to God, that, you know, uh, our salvation is still. So, I don't know if you see it this way, but I see this God's grace behind you the whole time. Oh, absolutely. Like, Absolutely. God never stopped loving me. God didn't walk away from me. God was there with me through those lows and got me through all that to get me to this point. I'm the one that walked away from God. God never turned on me. So, uh, absolutely, I believe that 100%. And, um, but after I got out of the brig, the Marine Corps asked me to kindly uh, leave. Um, I met my wife in California, my now ex-wife. We moved to Michigan to have kids. And when I met her, she was doing drugs too. And I felt like I found my soulmate. And when we got to Michigan, she was serious about starting a family and she quit doing drugs. And I felt like I lost my best friend. I was like, she expected me to. And I'm just like, how? And uh, at that point, I didn't even know I could or mm -hmm. didn't even know I wanted to. Because you're like, this is all I know for. Exactly. It's, it's no weird. I can't. This is who I am. I can't. Exactly. And this leads up to the heartbreaking point because, um, you know, we had children together. And I pulled her through. <laughs> I put her through a lot. That, that woman, um, you know, I put her through a lot of things. I would not come home for days, not come home with a paycheck. Um, had shady characters stopping by the house looking for me because I owed them money for drugs. Um, mm -hmm. It was just, she had to, you know, basically rely on her mom and her stepdad because she couldn't rely on me and not even for my own children, even when I wanted to. Even when I wanted to, I still wound up doing things against my will because that drugs had that much of a hold on me. I had no defense without God. And, um, you know, I was that guy. I was that terrible father. Um, terrible. And I loved my girls. Loved them. But the problem with drugs is they don't make you love yourself, so you can't really reflect love. And, and without the love of God, if you're not if if you're not receiving the love of God, I don't think you can truly love a person. You know, if you do, if you don't receive the gift of the love of God, then it, it, it makes it impossible to truly selflessly love another person That's true. And, and as much as I love love my children 
I just did not look. And um, as much as I desired to not be that dirt guy down at the crack house, you know, with no money left and no future, <laughs> no plans, and um, just without any hope, as much as I did not want to be that person. Mm -hmm. I had no defense without God, no defense. So um, eventually she got tired of that and uh, we went our ways and, and she probably hung on too long. And um, you know, for a while still in my addiction, I blamed her for it, you know, and not being able to see my kids, but the truth is um, drugs took me away. Um, she didn't push me away from me. And, you know, and, I, and I could clean up for a little while to see them, mm -hmm. to spend time with them, but I always went back to the drugs because sure. that's what you had enough motivation. If I understand what you're saying, can you talk yourself temporarily long enough exactly. to see your daughter for a short visit, but there wasn't exactly. nothing you felt like you desired. Not at first, no. Like, and and I'll say this now: they've never seen me hot. Never. My daughters have never seen me get. I've never gotten hot in front of them to this day. And my oldest daughter's twenty nine years old. So, but that doesn't mean that my drug usage didn't affect them. I mean, immensely. I mean, it hurt terribly. It took me away from them. Um, they, mm -hmm. they grew up without their father, basically. They grew up with a, a guy with sporadic visits, and, or, you know, they'd come down and spend the summer with me after I moved, and, and that's basically, or they'd see me for Thanksgiving. And that's, that's the kind of father I was. I, I just was not a good person. I wasn't, I was selfish. Um, my addiction came first before almost everything happened, you know, and I couldn't help it and I couldn't change it on my own. I was powerless, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And eventually uh, I got in with a group of shady characters in Brightmore, Detroit, and decided I was going to be a dealer because then I would, you know, get high for free. Well, um, that didn't turn out too well. And eventually I stole from them and they caught me. And, uh, you know, uh, a few baseball dots and a couple bottles and I woke up. So they threw me in a dumpster and and left me for dead. And uh, if some lady didn't call 911, I, I probably wouldn't be here today telling this story. But she did, and uh, they came and got me. And three days later, I woke up in the hospital without insurance, didn't know where I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had 57 staples holding my head together and broken wow. ribs. Broken ribs. And, and with no, still no plan and no future and no God. And I walked out of there and uh, my ex-wife remarried by this time and 
her new in-laws. Her father and mom was a pastor, and he was he was a good he was a good man. He taught he did my job and taught my children about God. And uh, you know, uh, I was walking out of the hospital, and him and his wife were there, and they had my kids in the back seat, and I cried. Want them to see me like I was, and here they were. And, uh, and he told me he was taking me to the bus station and get me out of there because that was the best thing for my children. And I had no argument. I I couldn't argue with him because I knew he was right. As much as that hurt, I knew he was right. And he he put me on a bus for New Jersey. And uh, I got to New Jersey, and for maybe uh, two or three weeks, I did okay. Uh, my brother would let me stay with them as long as I was inside the house by 7 o'clock at night. And it's kind of the same rules my dad had for him when he was a kid. And he was right. I should have been home by 7, but I don't that only lasted three weeks. Pretty soon I was homeless or staying with this girl or that girl or, and finding the drugs in New Jersey. It wasn't hard. It wasn't hard. And uh, I was right back to myself. Still no plans, still no God. And family now, not only I could see this now, but I couldn't see it back then. I just felt like they didn't love me. But when you don't receive the love from God, then it's hard to receive love. Not only can you not love anybody, but you can't receive it because you can't really feel it. Yeah. And uh, or at least that was my case. And so things didn't work out in New Jersey. Another brother in Florida offered me to come down there to get clean. He would get me a job. And I, I knew New Jersey wasn't working for me. And I went down to Florida and, uh, but wherever I went, I took myself with me and I got down there and started just all over again. It just started all over again. And not only that, I broke up his family. So, um, it's not something I'm proud of at all, but I mean, it's horrible, but I broke his family up and um, the, that's the thanks he got for trying to help me. And, um, you know, so that went on for a while. And, uh, it was actually his ex-wife that started me going to AA. Uh, she got me in detox, not just once, several times, got me into a couple of rehabs. Yeah. Just kept. You know, I, I would be able to stay clean for periods of time, six months, a year. And every time that anyone would talk about God, I just shut my mind to it. And, uh, you know, I could do this on my own type thing. I just wanted, they started talking about the steps and they, right away they started talking about God steps, 12 steps. And uh, I just, you know, and, I get to the point where I just, okay, I'll fake it, whatever they say, fake it till you make it. Well, you can't really fake faith 
you can't really fake your beliefs. You can't really fake, you know. Right. And so it just never worked out. And I tried, and this went on for years and years and years. I would clean up for times. And then at, at the most crucial point, I would break and wind up the, out there for another six months, another year. And each time it got worse and worse and worse. Uh, um, uh, relationships, places to live, vehicles, but mostly um, I lost everybody who ever cared about me. Because um, if you cared about me, I was going to take you down that road with me. And you know, the whole time you're calling me back, calling me back, calling me back. And, I just keep going further. And eventually I got down that deep, dark road where nobody was even calling me. Like nobody, they just wrote me off. And for good reason. Yeah. For good reason. And uh, I just got to this point. I, I got this uh, halfway house to allow me to stay with them. I think I was on my second or third stint of homelessness. And, um, and I stayed at the halfway house, and I remember looking at myself in the mirror one day and hating, absolutely hating what I saw. Like, just disgusted. Can't believe I let myself become this person. And, and uh, for the first time, I asked God for help. First time in forever, I asked God for help, and I did it. And, and, you know, I'd always been an athlete as a kid, and, you know, I did some running, and I enjoyed, enjoyed it in Marine Corps. You know, before I got back to California, I was in great shape, and I loved to run. And so I started, I decided that's what I was going to do. And I really didn't have shoes. I think I had a pair of Run DMC Adidas. But yeah. <laughs> I remember that was back in the day. Yeah, the gels. And, uh, but I started running in those and, and I couldn't run from one telephone pole to the next. And I'd have to walk for three more telephone poles. And But I just kept going. I kept praying and I kept running. I kept praying and I kept running. And pretty soon the running started getting a little bit easier. And uh, I got out of that halfway house and got my own place. And uh, I met a girl. <laughs> I met a girl. And she was into doing these races. And I was like, a 5K. I was like, 5K, what's that? And, and uh, yeah. she got me signed up for a race. And, and uh I loved it. It killed me, and I loved it. Like, I wanted to die at the end of it, because it was the summer in Florida. <laughs> and she signed up for a three-race series. It's the first time I ever run a race was a three-race series. Oh, <laughs> it was a Seven o'clock at night. In the sand, it's, it, like, yeah. it's hard, you know, from what I hear, it's 
much harder to run in the sand. It's a little more resistance. I mean, where they had it at was down close to the water and low tide, so it was a little bit better than running in like deep soft sand. But then uh, the next day, then you had to get up early the next day, and seven o'clock in the morning there was a five k uh, in town, and uh, so went and ran that, and I was like, wow. I couldn't believe I just did these two things. And then one o'clock in the afternoon in Center City or down near the river, actually, near the river walk in Jacksonville, Florida, they had this thing called a one mile burner because it was in the heat of the day. Yeah. And it was under the sun. Yeah. And it was an all out one miler. Now, my running shoes, I had one. By that time, I had one pair of running shoes. The run DMCs. I ran the run DMCs on the beach. I ran the running shoes in a 5K. And the only thing I had left was I, I could afford was this pair of, I thought they were running shoes because I had no clue. But they were soccer shoes I bought at Bell's, at a store called Bell's Outlet, which I, I don't know, you would equivalent that to like a Ross. And they were like all leather. They weren't mesh and I'm wearing these leather shoes and like a hundred degree <laughs> trying to trying to run a mile burner but I loved it like the next two or three days I was so sore and I couldn't wait to do it again and I thank God for that like I thank God for that man because, because that you started to see this is something if I keep up this is something I can do well and Maybe, not right away, but maybe over time you began to put more and more races together. You saw structure and purpose. You're like, that's it. Now, now I have a reason not to get high. Now I have a reason that I love to do something besides take drugs. So now, now that gives you some order and purpose. And more important than even that, like all that, the fitness aspect, the health aspect, um, just the self-esteem aspect was just groundbreaking to me. But more importantly, God put runners in my life. Yeah. And those people were just amazing. They were like family. They accepted me because I always looked at me like even me. Like I could understand people looking down at me. Because I look down at me, but these people made me feel like I was somebody, I was worth it. They would spend their time with me, you know, they would want to hang out with me, do things with me. And I, at first I was like, why? <laughs> and then, then as time grew on, I started trying to emulate them. I learned a lot about becoming a good person through running community and, and just that a lot of that and I didn't stop going to AA here's what kind of happened with that all throughout that process see I did uh, learn to practice the 12 steps in my life right that brought me to uh, my relationship back to God and then but I was still looked at as a bad example because I had been in and out, in and out, in and out. And 
so you know anybody new they'd be like oh they're the sponsor the guy's been around for a while they'd be like oh don't hang out with this guy he's, you know he's a bad example he's been in and out 20 times well so. i'm a i'm from three for that i challenged him like the divine started only two then divine god god divine the that's right and not only that Sean but God didn't put us here to judge other people God put us here to love other people we're not to judge anybody and not saying that in my defense but I remind myself that daily I mean I think it helps because I came from a place like that but a lot of people don't understand uh, say a homeless drug addict or a, a mother out on the street when her, her children are with their grandparents being raised and maybe they don't stand a struggle and it's easy to sit and be judgmental sometimes all that person needs is some love right you know and some prayer so i mean you don't always have to help because sometimes helping especially an addict given given financial help and stuff like that to an addict may be hurting them in the long run. But right. the best thing you can do for somebody to help is you know, to pray for them or, or maybe see if they had something to eat, get them something yeah. to eat. I mean, how much does it cost to pray for somebody? Nothing. You know? It's your time. Instead of being hateful and judgmental. And, you know what I found? What I found in my own experience, some people, when, you know, when, when people are going through something, they don't want you to sit there and say, you need to do this, this, and this, and this, and you're doing this wrong. They just want you to listen to them. They just want to know you can. Exactly. And when they know you can, guess what? They can. They'll start to care about themselves. And when they care about themselves, they can slowly start to pull themselves out of the mess that they were in. That's right. That's right. I mean, leading somebody to God is, is way more powerful than condemning them for what they're doing. Absolutely. So, so the 12 steps led me to God. Um, running community uh gave me a foundation on uh which to practice christian principles and and they taught me uh about service work i learned service work from both of them and see god gave me a great gift he gave me a couple gifts i mean plenty of gifts i am so blessed today you might look at me and say well that's not a rich man or whatever and I will tell you, you're absolutely wrong. I am so rich. Um, first of all, we are rich. It's always defined by money because there are plenty of people that have all the money they can ever need. But guess what? They're miserable and suicidal because money doesn't make it happy. Money does not make it happy. That's right. Money just makes it. Money is ample. Money amplifies whatever you already are. If you're a generous person with money, guess what? You're going to do a lot of good things with that money. But if you're, if you're a miserable person, 
that I built around me, the great community of friends and people, people that I consider family. I have a great family, a great support system, um, you know, but I believe also and you can create your family. I've, I've created a great uh, uh, family system within the, within my church and other running community and all different uh, spirits of my life. So I, I'm surrounded by great people and I'm honored to say that you're one of those. I'm honored too, Sean. I'm really grateful to have you in my life. Um, I just want to say one one last thing um, about God's um, grace, mercy, and love. Um, nine years ago, even after you know getting clean, having brought my daughters to some meetings when they were little, and um, I was living in Florida. I'd say about 12 years ago now, and my one daughter started having problems, my youngest, Megan. And she was using drugs, getting in trouble, and her mom sent her down to live with me. And um, she, I enrolled her in high school there, and she was just straight A student, just the best kid. And, but she missed her sister and her, and her brother. She wanted to go back to Michigan. Um, so we made that happen. And maybe two years later, she graduated in Michigan. And um, she kicked around for a couple years with a job, decided she was going to go to college. And, um, but in August, nine years ago, three days after her birthday, she overdosed from heroin. There's nothing anybody can do about that, but everybody, including me, thought that I was not going to make it through that. I would go back to drugs, but um, I just relied heavily on God. I just, God says, cast your burdens on me. And I did. I knew I had to be an example and, and you know, try to try to show my daughter Haley that uh, this is one of the, definitely the most pain we felt ever in our whole entire life but we can make it through it um, just rely on God yeah. you know in our community um, running community was just so great to me you know helping me get through that and, and uh, not that it's ever stopped her hurting never no, and, this, and never, you always remember you never forget but as, as you go forward like, I think we with the help of God to move to move forward to remember our family the good things about the people with Austin, you know, and uh, I believe, this is what I believe, I believe that when your work is through, I, 
I'm going to go see her again. I believe that too. I'm going to. I believe that too. But I, I just said that to uh, say that here was a guy. So when the whole guy you were able to feel the feelings walk through um, probably the most difficult, difficult pain you could ever face as a father and not not uh, not really back to your way of numbing the pain, not running not running to what is comfortable, but letting your emotions go so you can process it and go, go through it. Um, go through on the other side. Not that they ever go away because you always remember your daughter, but hope um, through the help of God, you can tell me about how you learn to put one foot in front of the other and continue to build a life that brings you happiness, joy, and fulfillment through God and through through all the gifts and blessings he's giving you. That's right. And, um, you know, and through service work, through, through helping others, you know, I, that's what gives me, that gives me, that's what gives me great joy. Um, that's what keeps me going. That is my hope that my oldest daughter, Haley, see eye to eye all the time uh, she knows deep in her heart how much I love her and how much I'll do anything for her and hopefully she'll look back one day and say you know, my dad was a good man she doesn't have to be that girl that says oh yeah my dad he was just a little love crackhead and I never was around so those are great motivating factors and God showed me that even through great pain I could keep moving and I think that just set me up to be an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because, because I know that. I know that. Um, for me, even, um, even though uh, being a turns athlete is different for me because someone's pushing me. I'm still sitting here in the office. I'm going through whatever everybody else is going through. And so for me, the reason I like uh, running, especially the big runs and all the big stuff that we all do, is because I like to push myself physically and mentally. I like to challenge myself. And so for me, that running in the way I do that also I work out um, in the gym, but I love um, to test myself, and that's why um, that's why I see you. You like you like to challenge yourself. You like to push yourself because I I think in the challenging ourselves, in the pushing ourselves, is when we grow the most. Because I I don't know about you, but you know, what I always think about if if everything is easy all the time, we don't grow as much. 
But it's when we put ourselves in the environment where we have to push ourselves a little bit outside of our, uh, a little bit outside ourselves. That's when we find out who we are really inside. And, you know, for, my, um, for myself, you know, anybody that follows my podcast, uh, Follow me on Facebook or anywhere. They know that my uh, life is always finding another way because I believe that we can do anything we want to do. That's right. We might just have to find a different way to do it. A few years ago, I would have never thought that I could be a part of running community, although. I always looked up to endurance athletes, always read books about them and all this stuff. But I I very I very quickly realized that um uh, my job was to be the encourager, uh, the motivator. Uh well while my uh while my teammates were pushing me. Um, my job was to uh, encourage them, motivate them, and help us keep going. Uh, keep an eye on the course, keep an eye out on the care, and you know, uh, uh, to be honest, um, at first, when I first uh, signed up for my first race, I didn't know if I would like. Uh, so much pushing me um, because I'm like, what can I get out of someone pushing me? You know, I'm a person that's very active, like to do things myself. But I'll tell you, when I, been, when I did my very first 5K, I did it with an organization called Ambient Angels of Oklahoma. And that's a national organization. But what they do is they focus on uh, being able-bodied athletes like Corey and someone that's more physically challenged like myself. I have zero uh, They allow us to um, participate, participate in 5K, 10K, having full marathons, and I love that. Um, the very first time I did it, I'm like, I now know what it's like to run on this side of the closest thing I'll probably ever experience to running this side of him. So I love it. And because of the um, great community of people I met, like Corey, I've gone on to do um, much um, bigger things with just friends that I met through the running community. I've done uh, multiple triathlons now. And for those of you, for those of you who don't know, uh, triathlons are running, biking, and swimming. Um, they pull me across the open water in a raft. Then they'll carry me and put me in a racing wheelchair. And then they'll attach that to a bike. And then we'll do a full Ironman at 112 miles on the bike. And then after you finish that, you do a 26 
You can find on my speaker page at John Lewis Motivational Speaker. You can find my YouTube at Rowing with John Lewis on YouTube. I'm also on TikTok and Instagram under the same name. And uh, if you just search Sean Lewis on Facebook, I'm there too. Um, Chloe, thank you for uh, joining the show today. I want to ask you to do one more thing. If, if there's somebody that's in the situation you were in uh, all time ago now, but what would you say to them to encourage them? Ask God for help. You've got this. Trust me, God doesn't love me any more than he loves anybody else. And my life is amazing today. Uh, they told me I'd have a life beyond my wildest dreams, and I didn't believe it. But trust me, it is. It is. So trust God, clean house, help others. You got this. Thank you, Clay. Awesome work the wisdom for everybody. Well, as always, guys, remember, you can do anything you want to do. You just have to find a different way to do it. And for me and Clay, um, that's our faith. God bless you. God bless you. Have a good night. Or whenever you're watching this, I hope you have a great day. See you later. And I also have a podcast, Rolling with Sean Lewis, dot com. You can I'll find out more information about me. I thanks for watching the show today. Uh, watching the show or listening to, to the show. God bless. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye now.